Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for November 14th, 2022. Featuring poet Taylor Molly leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at our new space at 144 Montague Street in Brooklyn Heights and live streamed via Zoom. For more information and to get tickets and sign up for the open mic potentially, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Roy Wong, Eric Dominique Perez, Parrish Finn, Oladi Pupo Mayungbo, Seth Leeper, Mark Weissman, Hunter Hotkinson, Michael Cohen, Naomi Johnson, Jess Gagne, Ash Ahmed, Kiara DeLalo, Yumiko Gonzalez, Angie Kong, Arthur Russell, Sarah Lynn Rogers, Elia Osmanova, Vanessa Trust, Stella Lee, and last but not least, Alyssa Foreman. So, without any further delay, let's get right to the action. The Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic for November 14th, the final open mic leading up to our Poem of the Year contest coming your way on December 3rd. That's it. Enjoy. All right, folks. We are going to get started with the open mic, which I am excited about. I hope you're excited about. Excited enough to, excited enough paradoxically to quiet down. Would be amazing, especially all of you shy folks in the back. This is your first, I'll call it a request, not a warning. (laughs) If I could ask once more for you to quiet down as we reconvene and settle in for the beginning of the open mic. Uh, I'm always excited for the open mic, but uh, this month is uh, more exciting than usual because, first of all, it's the penultimate Yop Open Mic of the Year. And uh, because it's the penultimate Yop Open Mic of the Year, what that means actually is it's the last open mic spot available for this year's Poem of the Year contest. So if you, uh, if you haven't been to the Yop before, uh, I'll let you know that every month the audience votes for Yop Poem of the Month from the open mic lineup. Uh, everyone is eligible except for Taylor Molly because he's <laughs> the feature. I mean, you can vote for him if you want. It's free country. It's just it won't count. Um, but there are 12 spots, uh, and we begin the clock in the previous December. So it's the 2022 Yacht Pwn of the Year contest, but technically it begins in uh, December of 2021. So that person is sort of like uh, 2022 <laughs> in name only, but uh, I think you get the idea. It goes from December of 2021 to November of 2022, so we have 11 finalists so far. We're very excited about that, and tonight's winner of Yacht Pwn of the Month will be the final, the 12th and final finalist. So usually I, I take like uh, you know a couple days, like I have the Yacht, and the next day I'm just kind of like passed out. You know, because I'm so exhausted, and then like I end up, I don't, I usually don't count the votes till like Wednesday. <laughs> People are like, "Oh, who won?" I'm like, "I'll get to it." 
This month is different because we've got to get the, uh, the photo of the winner. We've got to get our promo graphics. We're going to send that announcement out on Wednesday. Uh, so if you win today, you will be contacted pretty much fucking immediately. <laughs> so uh, check your emails. And if you didn't get a ticket, I'm pretty sure everyone got a ticket in advance that is reading tonight. Uh, but if you, if you don't think we have your email, you should uh, check with me. <laughs> but uh, if you signed up in advance and got a ticket, then we definitely have your email. Um, so somebody open up their account. What is the first Saturday in December? Is that December 3rd? I see Arthur getting on it quickly. It's the third? Yeah. So if you want to mark your calendars, which I'm sure you'll all do <laughs> because you love marking your calendars when I ask you to do it, Saturday, December 3rd is the date of the Yacht Poem of the Year contest. So that is the date that the 12 finalists for Yacht Poem of the Year will I was going to say face off. That sounds adversarial. They're all going to read their uh, award-winning Yacht Poem of the Month poems, and then the audience, once again, is going to vote for Yacht Poem of the Year winner. And then that winner will read at our awards gala, which is going to be on Sunday, December 11th, right? So, so a lot is in motion. This is a hectic week. We've got a lot of promo to plan. But uh, So anyway, it's an extra exciting night. You're going to feel the adrenaline in the air. Uh, if, if someone's reading tonight that hasn't, one Yop one month before, there's going to be maybe a little extra energy behind their performance. That's really exciting. So uh, if you haven't performed before, you should know, in case you don't, you get one poem, three minutes max on the mic. All right, please try to keep to your time because the better we keep to our time, the more people we can potentially get to on the wait list. Okay, uh, also one more announcement. We record every Yop Open Mic as a podcast that we publish as the Yopcast. If you want to subscribe to that on iTunes, that'd be great. I don't know if anyone's reviewed us lately. We had like 38 five-star reviews before the pandemic, and I'm pretty sure it's still 38. It'd be great if we got some post-pandemic five-star reviews, uh, but that is up to you. Uh, if you don't want to be on the recording, if you're reading tonight, you don't have to be. Just let me know afterwards or email me, and I can take you off the recording. Um, and I will tell you right now for the first time, but I'll also tell you probably throughout the night and at the end of the night how to vote for Poem of the Month. The number to do that is to text our business cell phone, which is sitting on the desk over there, 718-374-1953. Uh, and you're going to have to place that vote tonight, like by the end of the night, because uh, like I said, I'm counting the votes <laughs> earlier than usual. So you can't like vote tomorrow and uh, that vote's not gonna count. So 718-374-1953, just text me the poet's name and that usually suffices. Okay, any questions? All right, I'm very excited. All right, our first reader tonight is Roy Wong. Get it for Roy. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever done that. So, Roy, sorry, you're going to have to sit back down. I'm sorry. Total, my bad. I, yeah, I love your outfit, though. <laughs> so you've done a trial run. I totally forgot about our featured reader, and I'm glad that this whole row was on it. Our featured reader tonight is Taylor Molly. Please give a warm welcome to Taylor Molly. When... when not even that gaffe is going to cool how much I love this place and, and I wanna thank you for starting this place. When you guys opened up this brick and mortar store, I knew three things. I knew I wanna, I wanna make Brooklyn Poets be my home away from home 
because it, it is six minutes, I live six minutes away on my bicycle. <laughs> and two, I will do whatever needs to be done so when I show up and he says, ah, oh, the bathroom door locks are broken. Like, I'm on it. I brought my tool belt. I hung a mirror in there. I got magnets on the doors, all kinds of things. And the third thing was I really wanted to be the poet of the month. <laughs> One of these months. And I didn't come, in September, I didn't arrive early enough to get my name on the list. In October, I did my best, but I didn't make it. So I thought, November's going to be my chance. And then at the last minute, Jason was like, hey, we lost our feature. Could you feature? I was like, damn it, I said I was going to do whatever you needed to be done, so. Don't vote for me. The very first tape recorders that you could get when I was a kid were about the size of a lunchbox. And you had to press both play and record at the same time in order to get them to record anything. And the condenser mic was three little lines flush with the body of the cassette recorder. And if you blew into it like this, and then played it back, it made a sound like this. This led to lots of skits about nuclear holocaust and the end of the world and what does this button do? And if you blew into the condenser mic three times fast like and then played it back it sounded like this. And this led to lots of cowboy and Indian skits and film noir skits and I bet you knew it was going to end like this. And army skits. And it was an army skit that I was recording with my brother when I was 11 and he was 8 that I said the dirtiest thing that I have ever said. It wasn't the kind of thing that I thought was appropriate for an 11-year-old boy or his 8-year-old brother. It was simply the kind of thing that I thought a tough, battle-worn soldier would say, particularly if he were under a lot of pressure to hold his position, which Jim, the character I was playing in the skit, most certainly was. Jim, can you hold your position? The captain asked. I was also the captain. And what I said was, what I made Jim say when he was asked by the captain if he could hold his position was this. Oh, I'll hold my position all right, captain. Just as sure as a man fucks his, his dick. <laughs> that was the toughest, machoest thing that I thought a soldier could say. Oh, I'll hold my position all right, Captain. Just as sure as a man fucks his dick. Now, if I could go back in time I would have the captain ask Jim a few follow-up questions. Like, Jim, is that yes or no? Or possibly, Jim, are you gay? Because it's totally okay if you are. Or possibly even, Jim, how does a man fuck his own dick? We've been talking about it at headquarters. We're not even sure it's anatomically possible. But I think that may have been the moment. I think that may have been the day. I think that may have been the line 
that made me realize I could become a poet because my brother looked at me with these wide-eyed conspiratorial wonder and said, where did you come up with that? That is pure genius. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to do one more poem. It is a teacher poem, but it is not what teachers make, which is arguable, not arguably, <laughs> my most well-known poem. Uh, I can sort of divide my life into you know, two halves before I wrote the poem, What Teachers Make, and after. The poem goes viral at the beginning of the school year and at the end of the school year, and it's wonderful because the only thing worse than having one poem that everybody wants you to do at every reading you do for the rest of your life is having no poems that anybody wants you to do. Um, however, I did bring one copy of uh, this amazing comic version of What Teachers Make, uh, drawn by a cartoonist named Gavin Thong, Zen Pencils, and I will sign this and and uh, it is for sale. This is the most awkward, I need more wine. This is the most awkward sales pitch. Um, I brought one, it's my own wine, Russell. Russell, I'm also, I'm on a last name basis with you already. That is $40. But I also brought this broadside called Undivided Attention. This is my final poem dedicated to all the teachers here. Come, it's going to be awkward to see me, but I'll be here till the end. And this is a $5 letterpress broadside. Feel that. Feel that with your fingers. <laughs> Beautiful, right? Yeah. It's printed by a print icon. It's almost like Braille on the backside. So thank you so much for having me. Um, this is dedicated to all of the teachers out there who are going to have to deal with this. It's called Undivided Attention. A grand piano, wrapped up in quilted pads by movers, tied up with canvas straps like classical music's birthday gift to the criminally insane, is gently nudged without its legs out an eighth floor window on 62nd Street. It dangles in the April air, Chopin shiny black lacquer squares hanging like the second to last note of a concerto played on the edge of the seat, the edge of tears, the edge of eight stories up going over. It's a piano getting pushed out of a window and lowered down onto a flatbed truck by a long-necked crane. And I'm trying to teach math in a building across the street. <laughs> Who can teach when there are such lessons to be learned? All the greatest common factors are delivered by long-necked cranes or flatbed trucks or come through everything, even air, like snow. See, snow falls for the first time every year, and every year my students rush to the window as if snow were more interesting than math. <laughs> Which... It is. So please, let me teach like a Steinway. 
spinning slowly in April air, so almost falling, so hinderingly dangling from the neck of the mover's crane, so on the edge of losing everything. Let me teach like the new snow falling. Thank you very much. Have a great night. Let's bring on the open mic. That was funny for a couple of reasons. Yeah, these curtains are actually Velcro stickered together. In this. So uh, anyone else wants to open the curtains? <laughs> Just know that in advance. Um, I also love all those sound effects. It's gonna, it's gonna, I hope that sounds well on the podcast. I might have to do some editing. We'll see. And uh, yeah, I thank you in advance if it makes my editing job difficult. Uh, one more round of applause for Taylor Molly. That was great. Thank you. I'm sorry you can't, you can't win Poem of the Month. Uh, I'm not even sure you're technically eligible ever again now that you've, <laughs> now that you've led the yop. <laughs> anyway, let me think. I'm, yeah, that's never happened. That's never happened. Usually people that teach for us, yeah, they, they're not, they don't, yeah. But then again, the, our teachers don't normally perform at the open mic, so anyway, it's interesting. I'm excited to invite the person who was halfway up to the stage. <laughs> Give it up for Roy Wong once again. just to force me to believe I can do it. <laughs> Creative writing for doctor, lawyer, engineers. You can't speak of rivers without a wave equation, we learned as kids. How does one evolve that past Dai Sai by Dai Ti? I don't know, but the forest of alabaster arms choking our air had no such boundary conditions. No doubt in their inalienable right to be heard in and out of classrooms where Romans go, vomiting Virgil till drunken vertigo stamps a bust of, a, of experience on plastered hands held up to ream equestrian camp musings down our mute gullets, provenance from where not somebody, but everybody gave a shit. Informal, formative formations on formative campus years derailed our witness to expulsion, re-education, and starvations like bicentennial tulips blanketing killing fields or out-of-court settlements entombing stories consumed in the crash. A bunch of cars of self-reflection jumbled up a pink quivering mass of larvae clamoring to be born out of the carcass of history. Acacia logs float up the St. Lawrence, scattered among maples and oak. Is it their tighter frequency or calcium deficiency that leaves only dust, long floors of sawdust, mills, regurgitating virgin planks by rail down the Hudson? It's not the click-clack soundtrack of mahjong tiles or fragrance of scallion pancakes on a Sunday. It's not being able to imagine gooseberry jam or dreams fulfilled. Not knowing what RSVP meant to the first and last party invitation you'll ever receive. 
in the third grade. All right, thank you so much. That was beautiful. Well worth the wait. I feel like, for me, it was better <laughs> that we had to wait, because just, I just anticipated it more. But uh, that, was a, that would have been a beautiful poem if he'd come up the first time. So thank you, Roy Wong. That was amazing. Great way to start off the open mic. Our second reader is Eric Dom, is it Dominique. Eric Dominique Perez? Yes. All right, give it up for Eric Dominique Perez. Hey, hey, what's going on? Brooklyn Poets in the house or what? What's up? All right, all right. That's what I want to hear. All right. It feels good, man, being over here today. is my first time here at the Brooklyn Poets. Um, right, well, I'm from Brooklyn originally, but now I live in Puerto Rico. And uh, my stage name is El Gringuito. And one thing I got to say, I usually go to some open mics, you know, around New York and everything, but this is a really good-looking crowd. Jesus Christ. Beautiful ladies, man. I mean, everybody looks amazing. Um, but anyway... The reason I'm here is to read a poem, see, you know, um, but do it really quick. I'm the founder and the artistic director of this company called Dead Hibaros Productions. Dead Hibaros Productions, you can look us on the web, and uh, we do bilingual plays in the diaspora of Latinos living in America and everything. So now we're doing the bridge of Brooklyn and Santurce in Puerto Rico. But um, let me get to this, we only got three minutes, right? So. This poem um, is somebody I was very inspired um, as a poem, as a poet, and uh, his name is Bimbo Rivas, and he's one of the founders of the New Yorican Poets Cafe. And uh, this poem is called Loisaida, from the Lower East Side. And this is where the name Loisaida comes from, from this poem. So without no further ado, here goes the poem. Loisaida. Lower East Side, I love you. You're my lady fair. No matter where I am, I think of you. The mountains and the valleys cannot compare my love to you. Loisaida, I love you. I dig the way you talk. I dig the way you look. Me vacila tu cantar y yo no me la juego fría para que viva para siempre. En mi mente, mi amada, yo te llamo Loisaida. Increíble. Una mezcla, la perfecta, una gente bien decente, de todas razas que estiman, que te adoran, que no saben explicar lo que pasa cuando ausente tus calles peligrosas y te aman a ti, mi hermosa Loisaida. Oh, what a town, even with your drug-infested pocket park playgrounds where your young bloods hang around, waiting, hoping that one day, when they too get well and smile again, your love is all they need to come around. Loisaida, I love you. Your buildings are burning up. That we got to stop. Loisaida, mi amor, yo te amo. And if you guys feel this, can I get an amen? Thank you, thank you, guys. You know, my stage name is El Gringuito. So do me a favor, save your I benditos, as his words of knowledge shall be have been brought to you today by El Gringuito. And if you guys want to follow me on Instagram, you could do Eric, E-R-I-C, Dominique, 46, on Instagram. Thank you very much, guys. Have a great night. Peace out. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Eric Dominique Perez.
great radio voice. Do you, have, do you ever had a radio show? Yeah, you could. You got a great radio voice. Um, I appreciate you calling me good looking. I don't, I don't get that much any, anymore. <laughs> you know, I'll take what I can get. I was like, oh, I'm part of a good looking room. Great. Uh, yeah, and hopefully you all feel good about yourselves too. Uh, <laughs> our next part of the evening is Parish Finn. Give it up for Parish. This poem is called October. In October, my grandfather lay dying, his legs thin, dry twigs under the hospital blanket, rigid and starved as winter. He held his reading glasses in his left hand for three days while he died, as if to show us he still had his mind and he could sit up and solve a puzzle and see whatever it was we needed him to see. The nurse reminded me that this was not possible. I told her she didn't have to be so sorry. Nothing was his anymore, not even his body. But his reading glasses were his, same size as a mother's finger in a baby's hand. Some days in October feel like spring because of the soft rains and gentle weather, those are the days to make you cry. When right before everything dies, it becomes young again. And the grass that burnt in the August sun becomes soft and green again for a week or two between the rains, before the frost, children walk to school and their weightless backpacks seem to make them float. You know you will lose them. Reading glasses, dollar store plastic. My mother keeps one on her head, one on her nightstand, one tucked in her shirt, one pair in her hand. Like my grandfather, she clings to them before they go. Thank you. Thank you. Ah, what a amazing poem. You know you will lose them. That was just a knife to the heart. Um, everything is different when you have a daughter, you know? Uh, yeah, what was I, I was watching some, uh, I was watching some movie the other day. Um, I can't even remember what it was. <laughs> and uh, there was like a father-daughter scene. Um, where the father was going to die. Wow, I really wish I could remember the movie it was. And I was just like sobbing. <laughs> yeah, and that's never happened before. So that's kind of cool, I guess. Also, also sad. Uh, anyway, well, our next poet of the evening is Oladi Pupo Mayongbo. Give it up for Oladi Pupo. This, this poem I wrote years ago, uh, I don't know if anyone is familiar with like Strivers Row from back in the day or Jasmine Mann's, you know, Miles Hodges, um, Joshua Bennett, uh, August. I mean, it was a, they were a phenomenal group and I think they really, just watching them, 
uh, as a young undergraduate was great because uh, it got me to just express myself in a new way uh, that I was never doing before. So uh, I was. this poem is inspired by uh, Joshua Bennett's What's in a Man? So it's entitled What's in a Man? Um, she laid there, body acute, mouth mute as her essence sank into his four-cornered frame. He chose to watch her, sitting adjacent, never complacent with his contemplating mind of Jurassic lust or love. He knew he was an animal, never satisfied with the hunt, but with the carnage of he, as he claimed the massacres of his past, recollecting his brothers in Boston over tea parties of political protests, Tubman and subways. Riding that Metro North Star to Free Dome, he argued, what's in a man? Never knowing whether his cup was half full or half empty, he drank as the moon shined ever clearly under Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, bombarded by devilish shots of Bombay that sprung crystal palaces into his heart that was always on the rocks. He searched for skinny girls in New Amsterdam. They called him Captain Julius. Seize her because he sold her 500 midsummer night dreams on his green screen of facades. His illusion, this mirage, was his only way to show her he loved her without losing her. So he captured her storms, silenced her sonnets, and fade to black her stellar perceptions of time, what's in a man. Is it the minute hand or the hour hand that lurks for bodies as the Mayan calendar cries out for redemption as a boy? Watches her Tennessee locomotives named Desire pass him by over the junction in her apple bottom jeans at the core of the big apple that paved way to her fruitful art. I, I want to make love to your art, he said. His home was in her heart, but this misanthrope only measured waistlines and would waistlines of potent images he laid waste to her mind, but he couldn't expose Langston Hughes of his deferred dreams as Harlem shakes the menageries that contain mosaic glasses of their past. They were never supposed to last this long. What's in a man? A will of fire so furious that it couldn't be tarnished by the tears of weeping widows or hopeless hubris as angels of anguish anxiously attack my tedious tantrum. So surreal on these isolated islands, never needed nothing but Adam's Apple's marvelous 1501 masterpieces by Michelangelo and new knees to kneel on. But it, it hurts to say that I won't be able to stand as tall under Goliath through these riots, but I'll stand as firm as David in Eden, as fluorescent flowers of Florence sprout seductively beneath my feet. And as those evergreen leaves creep up the meat in my legs, I shall hide my innocence like us heathens hiding from God as he asked, what's in a man? Thank you. All right, wow, incredible. Thank you. See, the back room is great, y'all. <laughs> That's a lot of talent in that back room. Can't believe nobody shared during the end of the workshop. Uh, our next reader is no stranger to all you regular yoppers. Give it up for Seth Leeper. Yeah. 
course now I'm gonna fall unconscious. Um, thank you for having me. Thank you for that workshop, Taylor. Um, okay, so if you were here like two Friday open mics ago, I think you probably heard this, so if you've heard already, ap apologies. But I also have to give credit to Stella Lee, who gave some really helpful feedback on this uh, before I even presented it that night, and then I didn't say anything that night, and then I felt like an asshole. So thank you, Stella. <laughs> All right, so this is called Two Mothers. It was the summer of locusts devouring what was left of the city and the wake of plague. Tap water scarce, no reprieve from the heat that wore each body like a new mold to be poured over. Sweat slid down the moving bodies that remained in the streets, commuted by route, out of habit and ambition for the languid leisure of the unaffected, the privilege to take for granted. You rode the tracks across town to find supplies and baby formula, the tot's teeth pressed firm to your teat, unthinking hand beat a vigorous patter into her back. Beneath you, the unswept, unmopped floor of the train, car rattled end to end, no other passenger feet present to still it. And though the smell of piss and rust was potent in the air, the breeze that flowed through was cool and crisp. When the doors opened onto your stop, you hesitated to leave the dystopian sanctuary, but strode on anyway. The babe's head on one shoulder, leather bag dangled from the other, while you managed the sudden slope of decaying stairs accordioned down to the sidewalk. Hollowed out bodegas, their glass facades, now a heap of shards piled across their storefronts, ushered you further down the block. No need to look through already pilfered shelves. You'd been told to look for a line, but there was no one. Just you, a woman with her child walking down an empty street. In the distance, the carcass of the city skyline visible across the river, its buildings reduced to blacked out rubble, colossal sheets of glass shattered long ago. The dying yellow sidewalk before you stretched towards these dead edifices, futile, stunted by the water between, to which it grew black, cracked arms in response, reaching out on each side in opposing directions. It was down one of these sprawls you turned to look for other life, but instead found a heap of bloody flesh in the middle of the road. Ivory white and red, the closer you neared, you could make out the sinewy curves of large muscle, the black hoofs of its four hawks pointed at you, and a hole in its horse-shaped head exposed naked skull tissue. Not six feet from its body, a horn-shaped bone, bleach white, save for the blood at its base, lay limp on the cement amidst the corpse of a corridor formerly brimming with life. The air, in the shape of a woman, exhaled around you in grief. An unexpected gust of wind pushed you forward. You pressed your hand tight against your daughter's back to shield her from the fall. Your knees made contact with the ground inches from the nag, blood mixing. A single tear trailed down your face. Something inside you broke, and you wept with her wet hand on your shoulder. Two bereaved mothers keening at the loss. Thank you. Incredible stuff, Seth, as always. Thank you. Uh, also, great use of the word four hawks. Is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, four hawks. Uh, let's give Seth a round of applause for using the word four hawks. 
<laughs> I think that's the first time I've heard that word used in a poem. And uh, let me tell you, I've read a lot of horse poems. Just, poets love writing poems about horses. <laughs> it's like the preferred animal for poets. That and cats. Okay, our next poet of the evening is Mark Weissman. Give it up for Mark. All right, thank you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you, all of us Brooklyn poets in the house. Thank you so much. Y'all want the good stuff tonight? No? Good stuff? No. Okay. We'll give you the good stuff. <clears throat> Leaf pool. You want to say yellow is more than leaves or a raincoat. It's the memory of the sun. It's eight minute past, as bright as the present, stung by turning, as if the fall of the year was warmer than the fake, fake news of summer. What to do with this blaze, pumpkin spiced and sweatered, which for some comforts more than tropics, which, expanding, eclipses the mind's New England, its gentle fires and steeples. You want to believe in the childhood of the sun, an average star whose potential gave you pumpkin spice, sweaters, and the negligible difference in real feel in the Goldilocks zone of your life in which comfort, God, is the color of decay. Thank you very much. Thank you. The New England of the mind, is that, was that the phrase from your poem? Yeah. Okay, good stuff. <laughs> So you think of cold Connecticut winters and Wallace Stevens. Uh, yeah, show of hands, how many of you still read Wallace Stevens? Yeah, I always like to do these check-ins, see how many dead white poets are still being read. <laughs> Not much anymore, which is either a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> Maybe a little of both. Uh, our next poet of the evening, Help pass around the dice earlier this evening. Give it up for Hunter Hodkinson. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for coming out tonight. Uh, this poem is about the process of trying to change someone and just trying to turn them into something that they're not. Bang, bang, bang. Father's knuckles, grime blackened by the metalworking it took to shape me into a statue of himself. Bang, bang, bang. Scraps and shrapnel scavenged from his 50-something fuselage 
a handshake firm enough to break the fingers of every new person I meet and a wrist strong enough to make sure it never, ever goes limp. Bang, bang, bang. His waterfall forehead sizzles upon my effulgent framework. He prays in red-hot glow. Bang, bang, bang. Removed from the pool of steel baptism. Altered, but not enough. Still not enough. Bang, bang, bang. Weld me a new sexuality, father. Solder feminine attraction into my eyes, father. Your eyes, father. Please, bang, gay. Bang, Barbie doll. Bang, gymnastics. Bang, poetry. Bang, New York. Bang, bang, bang. Father, please. I can't take the molding any longer, father. Please. Let me just live, floating in these sheer cooling baths before too much of my original design is gone forever. Bang, 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 bang. Wow. Great stuff, Hunter. That was good, and then you just you hit a new register right towards the end. It was awesome. Um, also, I, I, just, I have to mention, I feel like this is the first time at the Yop we've had two straight people in black turtlenecks read right after, one after the other. It's, I feel like I need to get a picture of you two because that was a... What is that thing that Taylor was asking, like how many people have to be in a room for them to have the same birthday? Or is that something like that? You could ask the same thing about... Uh, how many posts do you need to have in a lineup to have two in a black turtlenecks right after each other? It's incredible. Um, okay, our next one of the evening is Naomi Johnson. Give it up for Naomi. set a precedent for anybody else but <laughs> um, anyway if you can't tell now that I've spoken I'm from Melbourne in Australia um, so thank you everybody for having me here tonight it's been wonderful so far um, and initially I was going to read a poem that I'd already written about a boy but from the workshop thank you Taylor I wrote a poem about my mom and I was like you know what my mom deserves a poem read as my at my first international poetry gig instead so <laughs> Um, here we go. Hopefully I can read my own messy writing. Um, this poem's called Lavender Soap. My mother is lavender soap, a soothing, all-embracing, comforting promise of relief from the burning pains of dermatitis my sisters and I both endured when we were children. In desperate times, the cold winters where we'd curled up too close to the heater and dried out our hands... Lavender soap was there to kiss our broken skin, dip us into the small pink bathtub and go against the impossible to heal the wounds 
we all thought we, would, we were going to die from one time or another. Mum, I'm so itchy, I'm going to die. My mother is lavender soap. We dip into sweet embrace and when she pulls us out and dries us, she stands up, she stands us, um, yeah, I'm struggling to read my writing, sorry. Um, and when she pulls us out and dries us, she stands the three of us, my two sisters and I, one by one up in front of the bathroom mirror and says, everything is going to be all right. I got a little, I got a little choked up. <laughs> that, uh, that, I'm telling you, it's when you have a daughter, it changes you. Um, that was beautiful. Thank you. I'm so glad you didn't read the poem about the boy, man. <laughs> we need more mom poems, less, less boy poems. Um, I'm just, man, I don't know. I like the boy poems are fine too. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's give uh, Hunter, Mark, and uh, sorry. Yeah, Hunter, Mark, and Naomi, a round of applause for three black turtlenecks in a row. <laughs> I just, <laughs> just want to record this moment on the podcast for posterity. This may never happen again. In fact, it probably won't. Um, and I've also realized that that only happened because I somehow skipped Michael Cohen's name, who is, may also be wearing a black turtleneck. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, uh, okay, well, that was close. Um, so technically, that didn't really happen, but let's pretend it happened. Anyway, our next reader who I skipped, Michael Cohen. Um, good evening. Uh, there are some poems I never imagined to read in front of an audience, they feel too personal or too painful. And um, I wanted to thank all of you, really, to, that created a space at Brooklyn Poets that's, forgive the jargon, safe enough and welcoming enough to do this. So, <clears throat> Voices, music, and light for Ruggiero. There's a window and an open door to a small terrace. From the bed in the dark room, one sees only the brilliant blue of the afternoon sky. The hotel is built on a steep embankment on the north coast of Sardinia, and the Emerald Sea is far below. It feels as if you can reach out and touch it from the balcony, and the day is so clear. Look, you can see the coast of Corsica. My Italian friend, my brother, my Virgil, died, and I understand nothing, not my heart, or my thoughts, excuse me, <laughs> or the languages spoken at this half-empty seaside resort. And when he died, I was no more. I ceased to be and lived the past year disguised as a life. I try to move my hand through my chest to provide evidence that I don't exist, but my hand doesn't go. There's a body, and it's real. Two young women, lovers, Backpackers staying here, traveling from an island country in a different hemisphere, have become daily companions. They speak English, and I'm the one with the strange accent. 
We have meals together, talk nonstop, and share our lives. Their kindness is overwhelming. They ask, why are you here alone, off season? I tell the story of consuming grief and how this is an attempt to reenter the living here in Italy, yet far from the mainland, and that my wife and friends urged me to go on a retreat, and so I've created my own. I suspect from their eyes that they don't completely believe me. There must be another story hidden, but there isn't. The daytime and nights merged into one. Sleep was impossible and intermittent. I slept on and off throughout the afternoons and was awake most nights, listening throughout to a portable Grundig shortwave radio I brought from New York. Leather cover, retractable antenna, perfect for an island, and designed for more adventurous paths that I imagine others take. I discovered a radio station, the signal from a boat without a broadcast license, and this sound became my friend. The format was an endless stream of three-minute bursts of music of all types, jazz, classical, rock, world, with foreign voices in between. Received on this Italian island, once home to a little-known prehistoric civilization, considered with Mount Ararat to be the oldest landmass on Earth, the first to emerge from the Great Flood. And unexpectedly, piercing the darkness of the unrelenting sun-filled days and in the moonless night with stars so bright that they've lost their way, with thoughts of my friend, my friend's thoughts, and a small desire deep within to go on in the face of all the loss endured and the unbearable losses ahead, this music, scratchy, coming from a tiny speaker, mixed together with the two women's voices, became light. All right. Thank you, Michael. Beautiful. Beautiful poem. Yeah, keep it going for Michael Cohen. Whew. Disguised as a life. Amazing moment in that poem. Okay, uh, we're about halfway through. I'm trying to make sure I didn't skip anyone who might be wearing a black turtleneck. Our next reader, we heard her at the end of the workshop. Give it up for Jess Gagne. Um, very similar poem to what I read before. Um, this is from a workshop. I don't remember whose workshop it was, um, but it was a good one, and I haven't read it, so. Um, it's called Obscura, and it's um, after a Mary Oliver poem. My mother, for example, who hated having her picture taken and turned away, closed-palmed when faced with any lens, loved me, I'm sure. It wasn't anything personal. She, freckle-faced in the mirror, used to put her lipstick on in the driveway, and that rear-view reflection felt meant specifically for me to see, maybe the only tutorial she wanted to leave. And so, when those I love, freckle-faced, lipstick-wearing, tell me to point the lens elsewhere, in that small, dark room, I try to spin them gently towards the smallest circle, 
arrange them just so the light catches, captures, and explain. Please, someday when I can't find you in the angle of any mirror, at least I will have this. Right. Wow, great poem. Uh, man, I'm enjoying these poems. I hope you all are too. <laughs> it's a weird quiet right now. I don't know if you're all just overpowered by the poetry or I've just said something bad earlier. That's always what I think. I'm like, did I say something wrong? Why is everyone so quiet? <laughs> Our next reader, uh, I believe maybe debuting at the Up for the first time, give it up for Ash Ahmed. second time reading ever, first time here, so happy to be here. Uh, I'm reading a poem. I'm Palestinian-American, um, and this is a poem dedicated to the women, uh, Palestinian women, who are really the backbone of, you see so much on TV, war and men, but really the women behind the scenes are the ones doing all the work. So this uh, poem is called She. Tiny rocks in her bra and hand unabashed, head wrapped in a checkered scarf, eyes luminous against the dark, a nomad in no land. Rising from ashes, an unsweetened honeybee, drifting flower to flower, nursing her young habibis. In the soil, she sees her mother, the skies her grandmother, oh how beautiful were her sisters, braids of ancestors wrapped around her wrists. A radical place struck from the map, missing, pages from geography, missing characters in history, missing limbs from brothers and trees, moved to the margins of books and memories. Wage and soul disparity, her sole source of sustenance, the olive grove, now their property, there goes dignity. The last memory of her laughter in a neighbor's yard sipping mint tea, voices of innocence running around, sounds of foreshadowing above, look, there she goes again, an army of one, climbing up the olive tree. Thank you. Thank you, Ash. Great poem, great message. Cheers to your first Yop open mic poem. Let's give him one more round of applause for that. And second time ever. Our next poet of the evening, I gotta get in the habit of saying who's on deck. That's the tip that Taylor gave me. So uh, maybe because you probably all prefer if you know who's coming. This is a good moment because I'm not sure the next poet after the next poet is here. Is Ashley Frankel here? Good to know. <laughs> Our next poet, and uh, I'll tell you who's on deck after the next poet. I don't know when to say it. That's the, what's confusing is like when do I say the person is on deck? Yeah, it just confuses me because if I say on deck, it implies they're about to come up. Anyway, we'll get the hang of it. Our next poet is a good friend of mine from Beacon, New York. Give it up for Kiara DeLalo. What's up, everybody? Hi. Ash, if you're a teacher, then we're three in a row for teachers. I don't know, but yes. 
Um, which means that I was completely and totally triggered by the, all the dice rolling on the tables because that's math class. And woo, and nobody knows. And that's why you buy felt. It's a good hack. Anyway, um, we're also three for three on uh, mother poems. I brought you a mother poem. And if you hear a lot of the same words over and over, it's not the metaphor dice. Um, it's a sestina. I have been known to do this. All right, um, this is, it's about lineage. Um, this is a poem about trying to grapple with not just the things that have happened, but the things that haven't happened, that didn't happen, um, which are harder to identify. Tender. Who held you as a child? I search for memories of touch and come up blank then wonder how my mother would answer the question. What I know is thirst for that soft spot inside her elbow, the comfort of her breath around me. If I knew, wouldn't I remember such tenderness, the give and take of skin? My mother always kept the change, risked her skin for each Archie comic bought in secret. She touched the color pages, thumbed the English print, a reminder of things too American for her father or mother to allow. A first lesson, how to scrape comfort from duty, how to follow your own thirst. They could have seen it if they looked, how she thirsted for more, to break the tether of one culture, shed like skin. A nice Ukrainian boy, a house in the suburbs, held not comfort, but constriction, her honey-colored braids pinned a touch too tight around her head, the blouses her mother embroidered in tiny stabs of red and black. She remembers that the only soda she could have was ginger ale, remembers the sweetness she could only have when sick, fevered, and thirsty. She would lie in bed then, wait for her mother to bring a cold drink and brush a hand across her hot skin. I can feel the medicine in that touch that she kept like a pilfered nickel, a tiny comfort all her own. Nowadays, she'll say she never cared for comfort. It's easy to say you don't remember. But I wonder what she'd do for another chance at touch. Wonder how many ways she found to bury thirst sooner than cry into her harrowed skin, sooner than say, I just want my mother. I know I'm answering for you, mother, inventing stories from scraps for my own comfort, soft stuff pressed to my longing, hungry skin. How else could I be born remembering if I was not already a child of thirst, of women who bartered wounds for attending touch? Mothers of errands and stolen pleasures, mothers without touch, you taught me to break my own skin to quiet my thirst. When we should have been comforted, I will remember this. Thank you. cry man <laughs> oh man that was beautiful was the first line of that who held you oh, great first line um yeah i don't it's it's weird holding a holding a baby <laughs> like because i'm sure she's i'm sure she's not going to remember it consciously but 
All right. Well, if you guys tell me uh, what I was going to say is, but I'll remember it holding her, you know, uh, it's, if you've never held a baby before, I mean, it's gotta be your, I feel like it's different too. If it's your own baby, like I've held a lot of other babies, did nothing for me. <laughs> you know, my sisters have, <laughs> I have like four nephews and a niece. It just did absolutely nothing for me. I mean, I shouldn't say nothing. <laughs> that makes me sound like a fucking, you know, make, yeah, it makes me, makes, makes me sound like a serial killer. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, holding your own baby is very different. It's just, uh, yeah, it's like, I mean, I meditated all through the pandemic, and then there's that, and then there's, like, holding your baby, which is, like, a different kind of meditation. But it's like a meditation in tenderness. It's, it's, it's fucking great. Highly recommend it if you're, if you're on the fence about having children. You'll at least <laughs> you'll get that out of it. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just making a fool of myself now. So Ashley Frankel is definitely not here. Somebody finds that funny. <laughs> or finds me funny, hopefully, in a good way. Our next vote of the evening is Yumiko Gonzalez. Give it up for Yumiko Gonzalez. All right, so uh, this poem meditates on diaspora and um, I guess how elusive senses of home can be after generations of migration. Um, I'm of Japanese and Mexican ancestry and so arrive here after three generations of people um, leaving their birthplace and wanting to move somewhere better, meaning somewhere livable. Okay, so uh, here I go. Ray asks how I feel about the body as home. My home is my body, rests in our bodies. Homes left, found, built, left. Stay, please. Someone always begs. The one who didn't stay recounts, tells stories of bodies, homes, in flight, quick, scaffold bones, and climb, and reach, higher, higher, now west, but not yours, theirs, so your east, just run. North, south, north, south, north, south, stop, mind the border that cuts these two stolen lands. The white man has spoken, and he says south, and south again, and stay for as long as you can, which means just for now, here, never, two. This body you carry is our third attempt to get the body to make the home to get the papers to say it's home. A prayer, a dream to have in our hands, an envelope cut, not from grass, but from night sky. Three, my mother, an immigrant, her spouse, an immigrant, my father, his mother, an immigrant, her father, an immigrant, and me, an immigrant too. Hold still, parent begs child before child flees because mother knows best, and we saw her flee too. Four, how many licks to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? One body, two body, my body, unwrapped, chewed, made in the factory of leaving behind, of fingering unfamiliar soil, scraping maize from the earth. Seven, how many licks to get to the center of original loss? I lost my grandfather's nose when I dove toward the edge of a pool like the Pacific's a pool, where my great-grandfather loses his father. He knows only stories of stories from then on, 
stories that grow in place of my grandmother's grandmothers. I watched them unfold from her mouth. That was all she had. This is all I have, stories to peel back, to lick, one by one. Seven, how many licks to get to you? The people who shouldn't ask, ask me this. Probing eyes and me, the people I ask, the ones who could tell me, bite. Eight, how many licks to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? The world may never know, if you remember the commercial. The white owl tells me, and when my worst fear comes true, and my body is all that is left of our bodies, no one will have ever cared, he coos. Nine, I want to refuse the story. When he starts to count, one, two, I sink my teeth into his neck. I run my tongue along my forearm once, twice, and find centuries of bones, veins, ligaments. They're trailing home to the center where it all begins and doesn't end. It goes on and on and on with us, our homebody. Yeah. Thank you. All right, all right. Keep it going, Yumiko Gonzalez. That was your first time reading at the Yop, I'm sure, right? Yes, where'd you go? First time at the Yop, right? All right, one more round, one more round of applause, please, for Yumiko Gonzalez. Amazing. Um, yeah, we, now we have we do have like a lot of mother poems now. Is that do we have a streak? Is that a streak? Four in a row. Okay. <laughs> First the black turtlenecks, and then the mother poems. We'll see what happens next. Uh, our next poet of the evening is Angie Kong. Give it up for Angie. I am going to read a poem inspired by One Art by Elizabeth Bishop. The poem is called The Art of Losing Yourself. One, chase the prize your mother assigned and date that guy those queen bees like. The art of losing yourself is to shelve the slippy question of who you are. Let others decide and then oblige. Live for the eyes of the many and leave bereft with so few. And look, each more gullible to my guise. But on nights when I am alone completely, my talisman subsides, impotent against loneliness, confusion, and self-delusion. I cry. So then I climb faster, farther, hoping in the dizzying vertigo self-deceit can be stowed. Yet the indentured self always knows how easy it is to slip into a life someone else chose. Losing oneself is easy, I suppose. Two, retain a steely exterior till the can down the road can be kicked no further. Realize pleasing famed men will never lead you to believe in your worth any more than feeding a baying boar. Horrifying the way I weld to others' demands of me. Of course I will say yes to more, smile through each chore. Of course, no problem, no worries. Subject myself to the flurry of requests, bury uncertainty in reams of storied dreams. 
At least I am helping others. Look how I am useful, how I am needed, how I am desired. If I don't desire myself, how can I refuse when others do? Three, if you're like me and you've lost yourself already, just remember we're supposed to lose ourselves yearly, like trees denuded of last year's leaves, brightest when they are confident they will disappear. Their fall is our winter, and with the prospect of a January anew, our flames arouse again bright blue. I am not immune to the tomfoolery of reinvention. My redemption is yearly, my God, the New Year's resolution. No, I will not meet with you to have my brain picked. No, I will not just come over there real quick, not in this economy, unless you trade me an entire day's worth of Zoom bankruptcy. So if you've lost yourself, maybe it's a disaster, but the antidote we've already mastered, it's going to be December soon, so just write it, baby. Okay. That was good. That was funny. I, real quick. <laughs> that was a great moment. And that was another... It started, at least, as another mother poem. So uh, good job keeping the streak going. Our next poet of the evening has written many good mother poems that I've heard. Give it up for Arthur Russell. Thank you, Taylor. Taylor is a believer in... Uh, accompanying the poet to the stage as I am and keeping them aloft as they return, having given up their souls. Um, this is called, you know, in 2015, I read my first father poem here at the, <clears throat> the Whales Off Manhattan Beach, and this is different, and I'm seven years older, and um, I think I've, um, I think in this poem, I kind of let the poem, I started it, and then the poem I just listened to where the poem wanted to go. It's also about the car wash on the corner of Church Avenue and Coney Island Avenue, which only Seth Leeper would really know because he lived over there. <clears throat> it's where I worked for my dad. Plant life. There were men who worked for him for decades, for Bupkis, less withholding, right there at the corner of Church Avenue and Coney Island Avenue, as seen in photos from the era, with cars from the era, and men in hats of the era, men who lived in Bushwick and Crown Heights and South Williamsburg, men who knew me as his son, whom I managed in my 20s, who had their wages paid daily or weekly. I'm out of time already. <laughs> who had their wages paid daily or weekly on Sunday, one man at a time, coming into the office, having a few words of thanks from him, standing while he sat behind the gray desk, opening the two small envelopes, one containing net pay and the other smaller one, that man's share of what was left from the tip box after my father took most of the tips for himself. Not, he explained, to make himself richer, but to keep the men poor and needing to return to work the next day. 
The envelopes were prepared by my mother on Saturday. She wrote the man's name in her Lincoln High School script in green felt-tip pen because she had to fight every day to keep her hold of her identity and sense of fun, and green was her color. There was an oversized spreadsheet where she showed her calculations. The men all knew her and said hello, and she asked about the women of the ones who had one, though many of our men were city-living men of rooming house doors and drop-off laundry. She held a ruler under each man's line so they could see across the line and sign in the last column. It had solemnity. The sudden quiet of bringing men into the office, Usher Schneider, the manager, watched, smoking of Benson and Hedges. The men, after they'd changed out of their green coveralls with yellow embroidered lettering into street clothes, Harry Obey had a big white double-breasted overcoat with deeply notched lapels that he wore in winter. And some drew reading glasses out, partially to see and partially to participate in that solemnity. The office was up a narrow flight of steel steps. The men lined up at the foot of the stairs and came up one at a time. My father gave the men either an alarm clock or a transistor radio for Christmas in alternating years. I was there. He wanted us to learn about life from his car wash. So we counted his money and dried his cars. Even my sister worked there as a cashier for two days before my mother shut that down. This is why I tell the story of taking the stitches out of Pete Watson's scalp with a single-edged razor and a surgical clamp at the men's lunch table so Pete wouldn't miss an afternoon of work. Arthur, Sonny, Pete needs his stitches out. Go out to the men's lunch table and take Pete's stitches out. And Pete Watson's scalp at the men's lunch table with its dandruff and the minor popped release as I lifted the surgical knots of his stitches free of the amber crust around the wound that the doctor shaved zone around the leg chair of his wound and the lanolin sniff of his scalp and the new stubble coming in and the nearness of the man. These were what my father wanted me to see. This very week, as I was getting ready to write this poem, my brother told me of the time he stood with our father at the men's lunch table, where Clayton Parker sat on one of the red diner's stools, drunk out of his mind, bent over in his reddish-brown woolen coat, defeated by alcohol, but drawn to work by a force as strong as the body that he nightly partly self-embalmed. And how my father guided my brother's hand to Clayton Parker's horizontal back and told my brother to rest his hand there. And he instructed my brother to feel the way the drunk man's skin twitched from the depth of his stupor through his coat though you couldn't see it. And then he asked my brother if he felt it. Do you feel it, boy, he'd said. Do you feel the subcutaneous twitch? Thank you all.
All right. We have fathers now, but you also had a mother in there, so we kept that streak going. Uh, the Poet Laureate of Car Washes, for sure, Arthur Russell's amazing poems about car washes and uh, family. Former Yacht Poem of the Year winner. So, uh, yeah, give it up for Arthur Russell. We have time for five more readers because we had one who did not make it tonight. So uh, here's who's on deck <laughs> for the rest of the night. Sarah Lynn Rogers, Elia Osmanova, Vanessa Truss, Stella Lee, and off the waitlist, Alyssa Foreman. So our next reader is, give it up for Sarah Lynn Rogers. today. In my notebook today, not here. Um, I wrote this poem a while ago, but watching Twitter crash and burn over the past week or so, I just seemed like a good time for it. It's called A Toast to the Dismay of Certain Industries. Each slice of toast, a manicured lawn, green as savings, the neon envy of bootstraps, long known for the raising of boots and not the booted, a rumor spread by boots that upon their approach you play dead. No, get as big as you can. Wave your arms. They're more afraid of you than you of them. Ten fewer avocados till autonomy. And then what should we do with these damn trophies? First, we award participation to the diamond industry. Which should, have shun, which should have shown up unannounced with a resume to indicate strong interest at our Office of Maligned Demographic Affairs. To the napkin industry, which honestly could have shown better initiative. Inflated houses, we reject you first. Never bought us coffee, nor saved your summer earnings for a whole year of tuition. So go the legends from the, the luckiest in human history, born and breaded on post-war production abundance and unevenly allocated ease. Economists with dousing rods and dicks up for the market sure soften with declining demand. Mark it, how they speak of loyalty, invoke obedience expected to one's family. In the good old days, this valley was all job orchards for miles. You could scrape your wrist across your fence and pull, your kindly neighbor none the wiser. They don't make them like that anymore. So pluckable, firm in the hand. Thank you. Right, great stuff. Thank you, Sarah. It's a great way to end the mother poem streak. <laughs> if you're gonna do it, uh, do it with a poem like that. Uh, our next reader is Elia Osmanova. Give it up. Thank you. I won't be reading a mother poem. I call this uh, The Poet. I no longer trust the man 
using his words to magically write, yet never mean anything. To exist on the surface of the ground, yet never be willing to fly. Words creating magic for others but me. And all I'm left with is the weight and the irresponsibility of his presence on my skin. Words left in my ears and on my flesh, making their way into my heart, yet never deserve to be loved by me. Just the false sounds from the audience, the voices of them clapping, but never existing. That was him. Presence of him like an oak tree, yet inside like an autumn leaf. Changing colors so rapidly. While swaying from side to side. That made me question, perhaps I was as tender as the autumn leaf. Creating circles of dance around the oak tree, waiting to be held. As I took a deep breath out, not in, struggling to catch the air that was chasing me, yet I couldn't even seem to trust the air holding me. How do you heal without allowing to feel? Yet, you reminded me of the wind and the ocean, combining the waves and the dust, competing yet comforting. The waves continued just like the wind and you seemed to be lost in between. Everything vanished except the depth of your voice, the heat of your breath, the continuous sigh between you and I could not tell whether it was yours or mine. Just the combination of the two trying to catch the wind. Some days there is no pain and the goosebumps left by you from the night before helped me lift myself off the bed sheets. And some days the heaviness of the memories of your breath left in my ears keep pulling me back inside the bed sheets. Thank you. Okay, all right. That was great. The irresponsibility of his presence on my skin. Damn. All right, that was sort of a poem about a boy, I guess, or a, a man, <laughs> but that was a good one. Uh, we got three poets left, our third to last poet. I don't know if there's an adjective for that, maybe there is. This is, that was fast. <laughs> you know you're in a room with poets. Give it up for our anti-penultimate poet, Vanessa Trost. and poetry. <laughs> Mine is German. Um, I also want to say, you said like everybody should sing even if they can. Yeah. Do you know the shags? The, the, the shags? Okay, no. you guys should look it up. Not everybody should sing. <laughs> I should not sing, but you can be a phenomenon even if you can't sing, hence the shags. <laughs> shouldn't. Okay. New York fucking city, take a hike. Oh, already screwed up the title. <laughs> Should not talk to people. New York fucking city nights, take a hike. You and I traveled a long way by foot, 
to eat in a neighborhood not our own, giddy from the newish to us terrain, exalted by delights our night may contain. Tight quarters pouring down waters from the rain break down the boundaries we normally maintain. Next to us, we know better, we don't pry, we pretend to be shy. We don't know why, a woman crying onto her full plate. We are afraid to ask, we can relate, we know how asking can humiliate. Tonight, we are way too late to her fate. Her man across from her sits with a stare. Soon you can't pretend to be unaware you reach out to the woman who's like you to take her out of her misery and us too. Out of the restaurant, now just us two, where gushing, giggling girl sounds, loud, abound, far from home, we don't know our way around. We're wayward visitors in our own town. It's dark. The rain is still strongly coming down. We need directions from a New Yorker. We're told, ma'am, trains at the corner to us. This here feels more like a border. You say, 110th Street needs some order. I sing the song while thinking of Pam Greer, who probably never even was here. The local man who's sending us home to Brooklyn and Midtown, where we belong, odd. Why we're not in an Uber all along? Maybe we had a few cocktails too many. Maybe just one. Maybe just you, okay? In the subway, you make me feel like Becky. To you, asking the black girl about her hair, I mouth, I'm dead. Throw hands in the air, only for you to retort with much sneer. I'm from the third world. You don't die here, dear. You and her take up a conversation against all odds. To my fascination, she's from Dallas, too. Same situation. Now you're very proud. You need to remark, from my window, I can see Central Park. I'm just too ready to repay your snark. Wherever you go, girl, you're too dark. The black girl and I readily agree. No broad having a New York City degree is ever white enough for the big D. New York subway only deserves disdain, but a city without doesn't deserve that name. Riding buses is lame, a total shame. We're all having such a divine time until people walk past us in the car, a long line, never a good sign. We, are still, we all still have such a long way to go with the rain showing no signs to slow. The giggles are gone for everyone. Everyone fights for themselves again. It's 33rd Street after all. We all complain. I exit in front, not able to maintain the high from the inane encounter. I see people filming down the track. I turn around. My mistake. I look back. The man on the rails is waiting, relaxed, for the subway swiftly to come around, lying still as if he's bound to the ground. His neck stretched to the end, slightly bent. Only the subway didn't show. It's a weekend. It's running slow. Stopped, somewhat spent. A thought for a second travels through my brain. How, now, can there be lives like his and mine, all at the same time?
All right. Thank you, Vanessa. I forgot that you loved rhyme. Vanessa. Yeah, Vanessa took a plank verse workshop with me. I think last year, right? Yeah, I don't think. I don't think she realized blank first means unrhymed lines <laughs> of iambic pentameter. That was tough for her. <laughs> but you stuck you stuck it out. Okay, uh, on deck is Alyssa Foreman. Our penultimate reader is Stella Lee. Give it up for Stella. Thank you. Sorry, I was sitting in the back, so that took forever for me to get here. Um, so this poem was inspired from a class that I took about this writing the sex poem. So this is going to be interesting. Um, it's about parties. So here we go. New Year's Eve party. For hours, I am hungry. The black dress and black shoes tight. This body tighter as hunger pulls. I wait and look at the long table. Music bounces against its sleek, barren surface without her. Each beat, another reminder, I have to wait for her to walk in, lie down, skin kissing cold wood, have her body hidden by plastic leaves as they cover her thighs, her stomach, her chest, her arms, the music pressing into the air, her warmth keeping to itself as they place each piece of rice rolled in seaweed on her resting body. I search for her through strobing lights. Liquor makes me dizzy, dries me out, sick, burns my skin hot, drips my back sweat, swells my feet, ache my hands, turn the white napkin I hold into pulp. Waiting tears deeper <clears throat> into my stomach, sparks a small fire, orange and red. Other people sweat too much salt. My feet press into glass shards that cut into the soft pads of my toes, hungry, digging, mixing skin with... <clears throat> Sorry. Mixing skin with beer and sweat. I wait, hungry, angry, feel my fingers swell. This body spins liquid, each pulse ringing me out, my tongue heavy and thick, my throat thirsty for saliva, my teeth grinding. Did I tell you that my head is spinning, that I am still waiting, that my body is hanging near the table, waiting for her to lie down, waiting to pluck each round morsel from her body, waiting to force too many against my clenched jaw because I am so hungry. I want her, wait for her, hunger for her to lie down on this table, to have her body covered as I hover and feed this opening, feel its emptiness, make my dress fuller, and if I want, I can have more. Okay, wow. That was uh, Rosebud Benoni's writing the sex poem workshop. Um, 
Costello just featured on Friday night at our Friday night open. Some of you may have been here for that. Yeah. All right. Our final reader of the night is Alyssa Foreman. Give it up for Alyssa. Hi, everyone. My name is Alyssa with an I. That's I-L-Y-S-S-A. First three letters are the acronym for I love you. Last three letters are ass backwards. Don't forget it. <laughs> uh, this is my first time reading at YAWP, uh, my second YAWP ever, so I'm excited to be here. Um, I wrote this a few years ago, but it's called On Getting Coffee with My Ex for the First Time. I wrote my favorite parts of you into existence. Your fingers unfurling from my neck in the lunar day of your parents' basement. Your leaving tasted like the mint juleps of summer's past. And when you left, I did not cry, but sent a cigarette smoke signal to western New York, wishing you could discern gray from gray or that you wanted to. I remember you in shower drain clumps, realizing that some water cauterizes as it cleanses. I thought that if I saw you, I would no longer love you. I had you there, temporary hostage of the nearest cafe. I needed to see you separate from me. Our unhomogenized days, the bitter parts spat into the coffee shop napkin, or the palimpsest hotel sheets overwritten with love from lovers before and after us and our springtime tryst. I cannot unpluck my banjo heartstrings or your eyebrow hairs that strayed from predestination. I could have let you breathe life into some other harmonica woman. I could have written a different antagonist into this coming of age story, but I like the idea of you in my pastel memory, stuck to the palette until someday, sweet bitter dissolution. Damn. All right. Thank you. Great way to end. Alyssa with an I. Ending in ass backwards. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Uh, and that was a great poem. So thank you. Stuck to the palate. Um, curious. Show of hands. How many have had coffee with an X lately? That's good. Very mature. <laughs> Very healthy for the room. Room full of poets. I would have expected... Less or more? I don't know. <laughs> okay, um, let's go back and review. I, you know, if you're on the wait list, sorry we couldn't get to you, uh, but it's <laughs> podcast already an hour and a half long, so that's my cue, and we got to get home. Uh, I got to get home and rock my baby to sleep. So um, going backwards, uh, the number to vote for poem of the month seven one eight three seven four one nine five three. Don't fret, I will repeat that several times. 718-374-1953. It's also the Broken Poets number if you just Google Broken Poets. Text us the poet's name. Please vote within the next hour, or really the next half hour, because I'm going to count the votes before I leave tonight. All right? <laughs> I'm going to leave that phone here, so you need to vote like now. Uh, going back over tonight's readers, Alyssa Foreman we just heard from. Before that was Stella Lee, Vanessa Trost, Elia Osmanova, Sarah Lynn Rogers, Arthur Russell, Angie Kong, Yumiko Gonzalez, Kiara DeLelo, 
Ash Ahmed, Jess Gagne, Naomi Johnson, Michael Cohen, Hunter Hodkinson, Mark Weissman, Seth Leeper, Oladi Pupo Mayungbo, Parrish Finn, Eric Dominique Perez, and Roy Wong. I wish I could give you a little snippet describing each poem. When we did this on Zoom, it was it was easier because you could <laughs> scroll back through the texts. Uh, again, 718-374-1953. Please vote once for poem of the month. And uh, if you read tonight, check your email <laughs> uh, before you go to sleep because uh, I'm going to need your photo right Real quick, to quote somebody's poem tonight, I'm going to need your photo <laughs> by tomorrow, basically. 718-374-1953. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the Yacht Poem of the Year contest will be Saturday, December 3rd. Uh, we're going to begin that at 7 p.m. Doors will open at 6. That will be a ticketed event. Uh, the Poem of the Year contest is sort of like sort of like a two-part thing we do at the end of the year. Poem of the Year contest awards gala used to be there at the same event, basically. But uh, these are our two big fundraising events for the end of the year. So uh, if you've liked what you've heard, if you like this space, if you like Brooklyn Poets, uh, consider coming out. You know, if, you don't, if you're not a person that doesn't like donating, well, just buy a ticket for the Poem of the Year contest. Think of that as your end-of-year contribution. Or if you'd rather, like, get wine and dined, come to the awards gala, uh, you can do that. Those tickets will be a little bit more expensive, just FYI. Uh, our next YOP is going to be, what's the second Monday in December? Anybody? December, that can't, it can't be right. The 12th. <laughs> December 12th, the next YOP will be led by Danielle Gasparo, whom some of you may have taken uh, a Saturday drop-in class with. She has uh, YOPed with us over the last couple of years. She's not here tonight, but was on Zoom. I don't know if you're still there, Danielle, but I'm giving you a shout out. Uh, so December 12th, our final YAWP of the year will be led by Danielle Gasparo. That will be the first Poem of the Month slot for the 2023 contest. Again, the number to vote, Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. If I could ask everyone that had a drink tonight to please dispense with their empty cups in these bins up here, which are emptier than the ones in the back, that'd be great. We've had a lot of people just leaving cups around. Uh, that's not great. If you've got a half full cup or a full cup, please don't put it in the trash can. Take it to the sink in the back, and Kayla will kindly help you empty that cup before you put it in the recycling bin. And please choose the recycling bag or bin if you've got a plastic cup. Okay, uh, and just generally clean up it after yourselves. That'd be great. Okay, thanks very much. You've all been a great crowd, very quiet, <laughs> but uh, thank you for coming. We will see you next time. All right. So there you have it. The Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic from November 14th, 2022. Congrats to Yumiko Gonzalez for winning Yop Poem of the Month in November and claiming the 12th and final spot in our Yop Poem of the Year contest, which comes your way this Saturday, December 3rd. I'm recording this on November 28th. If you happen to listen to this before December 3rd, you should come out for it. December 3rd at 144 Montague Street, our new space in Brooklyn Heights, and live stream via Zoom. 
In-person tickets cost $20. Virtual tickets cost $10. Get your tickets at Eventbrite. Obviously, you need the link to get there. Go to brokenpoets.org. Look under events. Look on our yacht page. You'll see the link to the Yacht Poem of the Year contest. Or go to our Instagram page and you'll see the post. Or just go to our link tree in our bio link and you'll see the link to our Yacht Poem of the Year contest on Eventbrite. In order to get tickets, the 12 finalists for Yacht Poem of the Year are Sharon DeYoung, Morgan Boyle, Cassidy Gabriel, Bonnie Belay, Preeti Shah, Jesse Edwards, Bridget Duffy, Madeline Phillips, Jasmine Pierrick, Stephanie New, Lily Perry, and once again, Yumiko Gonzalez. So, the Off Home the Year contest is Saturday, December 3rd, 7 p.m. start time. We hope to see you out there. Already sold a lot of tickets. It's going to be a packed house for sure. This is the first time we are doing this as a standalone event in person. So we are super excited about that. Thanks to Taylor Molly for leading a wonderful workshop using his metaphor dice. A very loud workshop as every person <laughs> was rolling dice during the workshop, but uh, led to some amazing poems. Taylor is leading a weekly drop-in version of this class. It's Tuesdays, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Uh, on metaphor dice and using metaphor dice. In fact, there's only two classes left this Tuesday, November 29th, and next Tuesday, December 6th. So if you missed the yop or haven't taken the drop-in class yet and want to experience this before he retires the class uh, this year, uh, go to brooklynpost.org, look under drop-in classes, and uh, sign up there. Our next and final yop of the year will be on December 12th. That will be led by poet Danielle Gasparo, who is leading our Saturday drop-in class uh, called Demystifying Poetic Form. It's a class on how to read poetry and not be intimidated by it. It's uh, arguably our most popular drop-in class, so if uh, you're interested in coming out for that yawp, again, that's December 12th. Tickets are already on sale. Again, go to bookandpost.org, uh, look under events, look under yawp, and you'll see uh, the link to get tickets there. Uh, and you can also check out Danielle's drop-in class, Saturdays, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Uh, that is all. Hope you enjoyed what you've heard like it subscribe to us on itunes that'd be great or rate us five stars on itunes helps more readers and listeners find these amazing poets every month uh, i'm your host once again jason Koo. thanks for listening we're gonna have two podcasts coming your way in december one for the poem of the year contest and one for the december 12th yacht with danielle gasparo until then take care <laughs>